a city street. And so twelve days and twelve nights passed. Our tree knew this because he heard the family talk of Twelfth Night. All right then, time to take down the decorations, said the father, though it seems a shame. Gently he plucked the bright star from the top of our tree and placed it in a container, and the little girl severed the line of bright lights from its source in the wall, and they were suddenly extinguished. The little boy removed but one bright red sphere from the tree, and stood staring distractedly at our tree's reflection in its mirrored surface while the others worked around him. He was in that state of mind where we take great interest in trivial things to distract us from some big thing that causes us sorrow or fear. And the face of the little boy was so sad that our tree began to feel afraid himself and watched with alarm as he was steadily stripped of every bauble, every decoration and every strand. He felt exposed and vulnerable now, though he knew not what to call this feeling, for in the forest none had ever known or heard of it. He cringed with foreboding as the boy's father, with a look of reluctance, approached our tree and hoisted him onto his shoulder again. The little boy sat silently on a chair, his lower lip curled downward and his face wet with tears, and our tree too, as he was carried back down the notched hill, wept to be wrenched again from his second home of comfort and delight. But none heard him. Only the boy looked up and thought he saw the branches beckoning to him as our tree was carried away. But, too overcome with sorrow, he buried his face in his hands. And as our tree was brought outside, he began to understand the horror of what it meant for Christmas to be over, to be loved only for a season and then cast out. Goodbye now, said the boy's father, propping our tree up against another taller tree whose base was planted in the ground. Then he turned back and walked inside the structure he had left and disappeared with a thudding sound that struck the air with doom. Now was our tree alone, very alone. Never had he felt so alone in all his life, for even in the misery of his cutting and in the terrible journey afterwards, and in that place where men exchanged trees for rectangular-shaped leaves, he had at least been in the company of his forest fellows. He began to feel cold, a sensation he had never known before, and he knew not whether it was coldness of temperature or the chill in his heart. The ground beneath him was hard and grey, and in the fading light of dusk stretched in a straight line between a row of structures like the one our tree had just left. Exhausted and frightened, he wept, and his sap poured out onto the hard grey ground. Tough break, kid, said a voice. Our tree stirred to see who had addressed him. Up here, said the voice. He looked up to see the face of the tree whose trunk he rested against. It was faded, grey, weary, yet seemed to offer a token of kindness in these bleak surroundings. I see you guys get thrown out of these houses every year, and I says to myself, that's got a hurt. You get cut down where you grow, they bring you into this stinking city, they dress you up for a few days, then they throw you out on the street. I was a young sapling like you when they pulled me out of the ground, but at least I got to keep my roots, you know, and at least I got to stay in one. At this he broke off, apparently not wanting to finish his thought. Still, you came from a good house, 
Some of those other houses, they got cats and dogs, and you don't even want to know what they can do to trees. And some of your friends get put next to radiators, and some don't even get no water. Our tree pondered these words, but gave no answer. So the big tree went on. Ah, so you had your fifteen minutes of fame, kid. What are you gonna do? How do you know all this? A tree asked feebly. Now you may wonder, how can a tree speak? Well, if you or I stood next to these two trees on that cold winter morning, we would have heard nothing, except perhaps the stirring of twigs and the wind blowing through branches. But they do talk, only not in words that we understand. And we must go to that spirit who first blew through the ancient forest to interpret for us. Cause I talk to you guys every year after Christmas, and my buddy's on the street. You see them over there? Our tree looked and saw two parallel lines of trees similar in appearance to the one he leant upon. We're beech trees. The people call this an avenue, but that's to give it class that don't belong. Anyways, my buddies tell me about the Christmas trees put out by them. You see your brothers and sisters along the sidewalk. Our tree looked again in the dim grey light, and saw his fellows from the great wood strewn upon it. Only one or two had been propped up as he. Anguish shot through his heart at the devastation wrought upon his kin, once the pride of the forest, whose joy had turned to despair, as now he heard their faint whimperings and groans. But one voice he recognised, and his heart filled with hope, compassion and longing, for it was his sister, hewn from his side in the great forest, now lying but a short distance from him. Sister, he called. No answer. Sister, he called again, louder this time. Brother. She looked from her fallen position on the cold grey ground, and saw our tree, and inwardly rejoiced. But great was her pain, and our tree knew she was dying a second death as indeed they all must die. They must die, because they were beautiful and did no harm. It is I, said our tree. My heart joys to see you. Brother, what will become of us? I do not know. All I know is that they love us only at Christmas, for they call us Christmas trees, and that Christmas comes but once a year, and when it is over they have no use for us any more. That is what I thought. Then we are doomed to perish. Our beloved tree thought for a moment, aching to comfort her. But the one who brings Christmas, the one whom Christmas celebrates, the child creature who became a man, promised me that I would always stand with him by the river of life, and he said I would heal the nations. I pray you are right, but how do you know all this? So our special tree recounted his dream about the figures who came to life, about the beloved child and its parents, about the three men with the staffs and the three men with the crowns, about the bright star in the sky, and about the man who had brought him this message. Amazement fell on his two hearers, and our tree felt he had brought a message of comfort to them both. Then we have hope, even if we should die a second death, said the tree's sister. Then, weak with sorrow, she fell asleep. Wow, kid, I guess you got the anointing or something, said the beech tree. 
I heard about a place where nothing dies and there's no more grief or loss, but I never believed in such a thing. But if this Christmas guy's for real, he's our ticket to a better place. Night fell, and our tree watched with disgust as large rodents appeared and crawled over the cold grey ground and over the trunks of his prostrate friends. These were not the gentle, inquisitive animals that hopped, sprang, or clambered through the forest, rabbits, squirrels, badgers, and the like, but dirty, thieving, voracious vermin that fed on refuse and garbage, and our trees shuddered at the sight of them. And they had scarce disappeared, and the dawn had scarce begun to assert a weary and unwilling presence on the bleak grey city, when our tree was stung from his fitful sleep by a thunderous roar that reminded him of the angry-throated things he heard that terrible day when he and his kin were rent from their forest home. But this thing made a deeper noise, yet more horrible, yet more menacing and relentless, that made the very earth tremble. Our trees saw two glaring lights pierce the gloomy scene, and on it came a terrible, huge, angry white monster that roared and screeched and spawned angry creatures that jumped down and pulled the discarded Christmas trees from the cold grey ground and fed them into the back of that angry, white, relentless monster. And though our tree could not see behind this white rolling giant, it appeared to be consuming his kin, for they screamed and cried out in their final death throes. Some of the trees in the path of the monster prayed for life, but many prayed for death and for a swift end to their suffering, and one by one each was picked up and thrown thoughtlessly into the devouring white monster. Again our tree trembled and thought of the one who had promised him eternal life and cursed him for his absence now in the hour of need, and our tree wished he had never existed, had never known beauty, friends or brothers or sisters, songs or choirs or stars that he had never even known that he could exist. He looked up to the beech tree he was leaning against. He had lived there all these years, had seen everything. Surely he would know escape from this onslaught. But that tree was asleep now, oblivious to the din, having slept through such chaos many times before. Besides, he was a deciduous tree who shed all his leaves in winter, and there was not much else for him to do in this dark season but to sleep and wait. Help! Our tree cried out, but the beech tree kept on sleeping. Help! He cried again, but the monster kept approaching. Help! He screamed with every fibre of his being, but his fellow trees kept falling victim to the ravenous, grinding, consuming jaws of the great white beast that plied its monstrous trade. <laughs>